0: The Holy Gospel according to John from the third chapter. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jewish people. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the dominion of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can anyone enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the dominion of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen For God loved the world in this way, that God gave the Son, that only begotten one, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Last Monday, we sent out a message to the whole congregation about care for one another as we are mindful of the coronavirus. And then, of course, throughout the week, we saw many, many private and public organizations doing similar things and taking measures, especially in this part of the Pacific Northwest. In every case, it involved important and responsible steps for people who care for one another in community, but as we all know there is still a great deal of anxiety in the world around us. Reading the Daily News last week I remembered something I heard two years ago at a symposium hosted by the Wong Center at Pacific Lutheran University. In one of the presentations, Dr. Alessandro Mansuti from the University of Geneva as an anthropologist, talked about what he called the anthropology of anxiety. And that, he says, is what comes into play in many times like this. He offered examples from his research, but what really stood out for me was a question that he posed in the midst of his presentation. In a very open-minded way, Dr. Mansoudi asked, what does our anxiety Tell us about ourselves? It seems like the same kind of question we could ask after hearing that first reading today from Numbers. It would be hard to find a story that combined more elements of anxiety than this one about Jewish refugees wandering without knowing where they're going in the wilderness. Far from home, they were tired, they were afraid. They were acutely aware of their own vulnerability and feeling food insecurity along with everything else. And when things reached a tipping point, as we heard, they turned against Moses and they turned against God. Why have you brought us out here in Egypt, out of Egypt, to die in the wilderness? In light of Dr. Mansouri's question, that seems to be a good place to stop in the story and ask, what does that kind of anxiety tell us about ourselves? I don't mean to oversimplify, but it seems clear in this case that anxiety tells us how quickly we can turn on one another and on God. That's actually why we added that last paragraph to our message that went out to the congregation early this week. In it, we said, it is critical that we equip ourselves with facts and each take on the responsibility of dismantling the myths and the stigmas that have resulted in rampant ignorance and discrimination. COVID-19 does not recognize race, nationality, or ethnicity, we said. And that's important because, as human beings, when we're anxious, we do often turn to harmful practices of accusing or blaming or fearing one another or blaming God for the harsh circumstances in our lives. For us, too, anxiety can turn us inward. It can cut us off from relationships that are so vital to our well-being. So what's the alternative path? When we come back to that story in Numbers, we see that learning to trust again seems to be the key to everything. Maybe that's the reason that God responded to people in the way that the storyteller recounts. When the presence of venomous snakes pushed their anxiety level off the charts. God did something different than take the snakes away. Instead of removing all threat, God gave the people a way to live in a world filled with threats of all kinds. God said to Moses, make a poisonous serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. Yes, the snakes were the most immediate threat to their well-being, and were still there. But in the big picture, even as we read the rest of that story, they were just one manifestation of the troubles that the people would face throughout their entire journey in the wilderness. Taking the snakes away completely would have been a quick fix, but it would not have addressed the anthropology of anxiety that was deep within each one of those tired and weary refugees. What they needed above all is the same thing that we need. They needed to learn again to trust that God would be there for them in a frightening and a troubled world. And they needed to trust that God's power was stronger than every threat they would face and that God's grace was sufficient for all that they would experience. And when I come to the gospel reading for today, I get the impression that Jesus was trying to convey that same life lesson about trust to Nicodemus. God's deep love for the world, Jesus says, is given in me. And when you look to me in trust and in love, you have life that can never be taken away from you. One of the sad realities, though, of our Christian story is that those words themselves of Jesus have often been heard and passed on in highly anxious ways. Jesus' message about belief in him as a path to life have been wrapped in heavy anxiety about where we will spend that life after we die. So instead of offering universal comfort and assurance, Jesus' words in John 3.16 have very often been used as a religious sorting hat. Believe like we do, and you'll go to the good place when you die. Don't believe or don't believe correctly, and you'll go to the worst place you can imagine. At its core, it comes from an anxious image of God's very nature. In this image, God is essentially a judge who constantly is deciding who is in and who is out. Interpretations of John 3.16 that are based in anxiety such as that are also dependent on a particular way of defining belief. As one person wrote, I was taught that believing meant agreeing to a set of doctrines about who Jesus is and what he accomplished through his death and resurrection. But nowhere in this story and nowhere in the Gospel of John does Jesus equate believing with some kind of intellectual ascent to truth. In her book, Christianity After Religion, Diana Butler Bass points out that the English word believe here actually comes from the Germanic root for love. So she says, when we hear it that way, we hear something very different. When rooted in that understanding, believing means treasuring or holding something or someone as beloved. It means, she says, giving your heart without reservation. As Marcus Borg used to say, it means be loving God with all your heart and soul and strength. And what a difference that makes. It helps me to see that love is actually one of the most powerful forces that we can hold up when we are anxious, because it keeps us from all of the different ways in which we are driven apart. If that's what anxiety does to us, love is really the force, I believe, throughout the scripture as we see and in our experience, that draws us together in the most difficult times, and draws us To a God who has the power that is strong enough to be present with us and grace that is sufficient for all that we face. Coming home to that truth has made me especially grateful today and in this past week for all of the love that is being poured out right now, especially in places where people are most vulnerable to the virus. And I'm thinking first of all of the healthcare workers who are doing their jobs even in this very hour with unselfish compassion and commitment. And I wanna say a special thank you to all of you who are a part of this worshiping community today who are in that role for all that you are doing. I'm thankful too for first responders, for teachers, for staff members at all places where this is close to home for you, for care providers, all of you who are going far beyond the anthropology of anxiety. In the end, it sheds light on perhaps what is the most important question of all, which is, what does love tell us about ourselves? To me, it tells us that we are bearers of God. It tells us that we are born of the Spirit of God and that we have life-giving gifts within us to share with all of the world. It tells us that we are here for each other in this dominion of God that begins now and continues into eternity. Thanks be to God. Amen.